Good morning, Harvest. How you guys doing? All right, all right. Uh, yeah, I just want to say, um, yeah, we love Grant Michelle, uh, Brendan and Kimmy, uh, Shannon, uh, Sonia, and we just feel so welcomed uh, to be here. Is Tabani in the building? Oh, come on, dude. There he is. Love that guy. Anyways, uh, yeah, lo- honestly, love you guys. Pray for you guys. Think about you guys uh, personally. Uh, yeah, you just mean a lot to us. So um, that being said, uh, today I'm going to be talking about this idea of uh, belonging to community. Uh and uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a space where you didn't belong. Um, it can be kind of a, a hard, hard space. Um, uh, I grew up in uh, South San Diego, and my dad was uh, – we were from the east coast of America. So it's about a five-hour flight from where my dad's from, the Boston, Massachusetts area, uh, to San Diego. He was in the military, so he moved to San Diego, um, kind of a port city. And then when he got out of the military, we stayed. And so my dad had ten brothers and sisters. They were an Irish Catholic family. Uh, and they just got after it. They were very uh, non, not into birth control and very into grandparents. Yeah, my grandparents made a lot of love. So there's that. Uh, so anyway, there was this big family, but we lived the other side of the country. We were not connected to them really on my day to day. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't travel a lot back and forth. And so I grew up uh, feeling oftentimes like I didn't have a big family or a clan I kind of belonged to. I also grew up on the border of the United States and Mexico, and so uh, about uh, my high school class was over 80% Latino, Mexican, uh, American, and uh, and I wasn't. I, in my entire life, I just kind of always felt. And when you're little, to be different is really different. Uh, differences stand out a lot when you're a kid, and uh, and so like I literally I learned the days days of the week in Spanish uh, before I learned them in English. Uh, I remember really like lunes, martes. You guys don't know Spanish, or maybe you do. I don't know. I don't want to judge you, uh, but. Um, I, uh, you know, just all these, these, these funny things where, where, um, I just felt like, man, I, I don't have like a clan I belong to. I don't feel like I have a, um, uh, a, like an ethnic group that, that I'm clearly connected to. The one that I have is not represented here. And so, um, and so I just always kind of felt like I was on the outskirts looking in, uh, kind of growing up and, and, and Jesus has met me in a really amazing ways and shown me, uh, that not only does he accept me as my truest father, my dad. Uh, I was a guy who struggled with alcoholism. My parents were divorced at a young age, and I was kind of wondered, again, even the small clan of my uh, family in my house was not a space where there was identity bestowed or a clear sense that I belonged. And I felt like I was on my own at a, at a really early age, exposed to this. this is pretty crazy stuff. But, but one of the things I experienced with the gospel was Jesus uh, not only dying to forgive me of my sins, but to, to see me adopted by God the Father. And I heard a sermon at a youth group that, uh, that Jesus didn't just die to forgive me of my sins, but he died that I might be adopted by God the Father, and that God the Father delighted in me through Jesus, which was not news I knew. So, okay, there's a dad I belong to. And then I started to find out over time that the church is a family. I, get, I have brothers and sisters. If he's my dad, you guys are my brothers and sisters. And it's been my passion to create spaces. It's pretty much my entire life where, where people could belong. Uh, when I plant churches, I feel like we're planting families where people can find out they have a father. Through Je- they have a father. They've got a big brother named Jesus. Uh, they have this Holy Spirit that brings us all together and then causes us to love one another, even when it's hard. And uh, so churches are beautiful spaces to belong to one another and belong to God. And belonging is a big deal. I, uh, my son plays basketball, uh, and, uh, and I'm helping coach, uh, not because I'm a very good basketball mind, but because they're short-staffed and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and a lot of the kids come from a really poor inner-city area uh, in, in the city, um, and uh, all, of the, all of the kids playing. Uh, my, my sons are a quarter African-American, and, and my, every, all the other kids are African-American or East African. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and they're from, um, kind of, kind of, uh, industry neighborhood and, um, long story short, a lot of the kids have been brought by some of the coaches, uh, just to say that, that, that they don't feel super connected to their dads or, uh, they, they feel like they're, um, they lack a space for mentorship or, or vision and, and stuff like that, uh, in, in the neighborhood that they're in and the families that they're in. And so, uh, these guys from that neighborhood said, we want to make a difference. We want to create a program to help these kids, uh, grow up into maturity and create a space for them to belong and stuff like that. And there's a kid who's been coming for about two months now. His name's Lorenzo and Lorenzo started coming, uh, yeah, about two months ago. And he, uh, he's a really quiet kid. And he was introduced to me by this guy who said, who said, um, he's my friend's cousin's son or something like it was like a random connection. He said, but here's the deal with Lorenzo is he, he, he's this young boy. He's got a ton of energy and he stays home uh, all day long, uh, with four middle-aged women. Uh, they don't want to play sports with him. Obviously they're, they're maybe middle-aged women love to coach basketball. I don't know, but, um, uh, but, but he has all this energy and no one wants to play with him really. And he's just kind of, he's just kind of on his own. He doesn't have brothers or sisters. And so I invited him to come out and his dad's not around. And, 
And so he started coming around. And, and really early on, man, I realized Lorenzo's really good at basketball. He's our best defender. He, he, he had one practice, and we had a game, and he was a lockdown defender. He had like six steals. Couldn't dribble to save his life. Uh, couldn't shoot. Uh, but, man, was active. Was, was, he had hustle. Uh, and he listened. A key to being a good athlete when you're a little kid is just listening. That's uh, what the coaches are saying. And, and he was that. He's amazing. And so I was like, man, he's, he's fun to coach. Um, uh, but, but something really interesting happened two weeks ago is after the game, um, the kids always get like a snack bag with, with like a hot, like lunch in it and, and, and some stuff, some goodies, some sweet stuff. The parents probably don't want them to have, but they give it to them anyways. And they get that and they, they're all, and they all, the kids always sit in a circle and, uh, and, I, and, and I gave Lorenzo his bag and he's like, Oh, thanks. And, uh, and he looked and, uh, I saw him, I, I literally watched him as a seven-year-old, like look at the group and then he went and, and he sat by himself. Uh, and the entire team's over here. And I was like, Lorenzo, dude, why aren't you over here? Like, why aren't you with the rest of your team? And he said, I'm allowed to go over there? And, uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you what do you mean? You're on the team. The, the whole team's here but you. And it was just so clear in that moment that so often Lorenzo's in spaces where he doesn't feel like he belongs. And, and, and I know for a fact he's not celebrated often. And I was just thinking that the church is a space where we get to be celebrated by the Father. We get to celebrate him. He celebrates us, and we celebrate and love one another, and, and, and he creates a space for us to belong through Jesus that we don't deserve. The seat of the table we don't deserve, but it's been freely given to us at great cost to himself. And so that's this idea of belonging. And that day with Lorenzo, and we're, even th- I don't know, we're, we're thinking about awesome ways to bless him and let him know he is celebrated, me and my wife. Uh, and that's a really exciting space uh, for mission and ministry. But um, I share that story today to say that that story reminds me again that we were designed for community. We were designed for a place to belong. We were given a place, a garden, and relationships. And we walked away from it to kind of, to kind of become isolated people. That's the heart of the fall. I'm going to do me. I'm going to live for me. Uh, you know, life is about me. It's for me. It's by me. It's through me. And I think that the reason that that's true is, is the hard part of belonging is that belonging requires commitment. And commitment is, uh, to community is what I want to talk about today. By the way, my voice is really struggling. Uh, I have this sore throat thing going on. I, I told Grant, dude, I might not be able to preach. Uh, often when I have people come in to preach at my church, uh, they'll kind of mess with me and go, oh, I missed my flight, or oh, there's traffic, we'll be there two hours later. Uh, and I think I was, was, was like, dude, I'm not joking, by the way. I like, might have lost my voice. Um, so bear with me today. Uh, but, but here's what I want to talk about is this idea of commitment to community. And so it's church membership is what I want to talk about. Church membership is opposed uh, and, and by the way, church membership, you may have heard that term before, kind of a religious term. Uh, maybe your grandma was a member of a church or, or whatever. And it's kind of fallen out of uh, being kind of a cool thing or whatever. Uh, I just want to say this. Whatever your thoughts are on church membership, I want to ask you to just hang on to them for a second uh, and just listen to what I think the Bible says about what it means to belong to a community. Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. Some that make church membership too big of a deal and some that make it um, a, a weird thing. Some, and some that it's just a name on a list. And I don't think it's any of, the, of those things, okay? So uh, church membership, okay? So church membership is opposed by two big ideas or to, two worldviews that are very prevalent in Western culture. Probably most of the entertainment you watch espouses these views. Pretty much every advertisement you've ever seen uh, espouses these views. Uh, we were in Johannesburg yesterday, just kind of exploring the city, and there was this huge billboard uh, for, for a cheap brand of scotch whiskey, and it said, um, it, said, it, it said, stand out, be outstanding. There's these two guys chilling with bottles of whiskey, right? So it's like, so it's like man, <laughs> uh, we're being told all the time, basically, that, that, that we are, we're being sold uh, these two ideas. And the two ideas are this, they're consumerism and a commitment phobia. Consumerism and commitment phobia. Uh, now, again, my generation, millennials, of which many of you are here, are a part of, and by the way, if, if you're not a part of this, uh, don't feel left out because this is a bad thing, okay? If you're like, I'm not a millennial, I'm left out. It's good. You're going to go, you're probably going to go, yeah, that's true. They're like that. Um, uh, the big idea for millennials is the idea of commitment phobia. And it's, it's this. It's the idea that we will commit to something good but are terrified that something cooler or better will come along that we'll miss out on. Again, West, uh, Western society just kind of loves these ideas, commitment phobia and consumerism. Um, we see commitment phobia play out every day in Southern California, where I'm from. I'm not sure how it is in South Africa. I assume, though, that living by the beach, you've got a lot of beach bums who like to kick it, hang out, enjoy the weather, enjoy the surf, 
enjoy outdoor brunches, kind of, kind of, kind of hang. Uh, Grant laughed really hard. He came to our Bible study one time, and a girl was wearing a sweater that said "brunch so hard." Uh, he thought that was funny. He was like, "Man, that's life in San Diego. It's like brunch. It's food. It's beer. It's surf. It's weather. It's chill. Uh, it's relaxed." And so that means people don't want to commit to things because that can make their life less relaxed. I think more meaningful, but but, but less relaxed. And so uh, in Southern California. Um, when you make plans, you'll say, hey, you guys coming to this event tonight? So let's say Grant hits you up on Thursday. You guys coming to the gospel and sexuality event? If I was to do that in San Diego, would you get a lot of uh, text responses that say, I think so? What does that mean? Right? Like, no, makes sense. I have another commitment. I can't make that. Or I, I can't, I'm not up for it because of whatever. Yes, it's like, yeah, I'll be there. I think so. It's like, what? Like, you, are you waiting for results of some sort? They're going to dictate how this is going to go? Right, an experiment, right? So, so do a large group event uh, with millennials and see how many people commit three weeks out and then how many flake the day of for really no reason. My favorite thing with, with young adults is I'm tired because I, I have a job I have to go to every day. And they pay me and I have to keep going back. It's like, dude, you do, I love you, but you, you don't have kids and you don't have a wife and, or, or you, 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 um, you don't do anything at the church. You like, like, what are you tired from? Like, just like your eyes hurt from Instagramming all day. Like what, what's going on? You work in an office. You're not a, what, what's, what's happening? Uh, one com- one comedian joked that before texting existed, if you made f- plans with your friend named Steve to grab a beer at 8 PM and your friend Steve wasn't there by 8:20, your friend was dead. <laughs> Now you get the 818. Oh, man, something came up. Forgot it was Tuesday. New Netflix releases. So we don't want to commit. We, I see this all the time in romantic relationships. Uh, I was in college ministry for about five years. I was a pastor to college students, college group uh, at a really big church. And, uh, and we would see it all the time. We did these things called DTRs, uh, which means define the relationship. Okay, so, so that's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you're hanging out with someone and they're the opposite gender and you're, you're feeling it, you're vibing, you're, 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 you're into it, but you don't know if they're into it, right? There's a whole book written about this. He's just not that into you, uh, right? Cause it's hard to take hints, uh, but also people aren't loving enough to, to be clear. Uh, we call it freighting. Uh, you're not friends, but you're not dating. It's this weird gray area where people often get hurt every once in a while on a good, on a good kind of romantic comedy TV show, they end up together, but oftentimes they just don't, right? And, uh, and so it's a good way to, to not lead each other on to go, hey, I'm, I'm digging you. Are you digging me? I just want to know. And if not, cool. But uh, I just, I don't want to, you know, think something's here. And it can be a really cool, mature thing to do. Uh, and there was a, a, a gal in our community that I loved. And she started grabbing coffee with this guy. She started spending Saturdays with this guy, talking on the phone into the night. Uh, they started holding hands. Again, they've not really gotten official. Uh, they start holding hands. And, uh, and then uh, one weekend, he took her to meet his parents in Northern California, a 12-hour drive out of town. And one night, uh, a few days later, she said, man, I'm so glad we're together. And she was, uh, he, the guy was completely baffled that she thought they were together. She's like, he's like, we're not together. We're friends. And so he selfishly led her on, which I see all the time. He made it clear that he didn't need uh, more time to figure out if he wanted a girlfriend. He was just looking to have fun with someone for this season, which she did not know. And again, he made it clear to her over time that he was willing to use her as long as she met his needs or wants. Then he moved on. He was saying, I'm not committing to you, though. What I want is the most important thing, commitment phobia. Uh, We've also seen consumerism bleed into our relationships where we literally use people for what they can give us. With apps like Tinder and and, and other dating apps and hookup apps, our, our romantic lives and our sexuality are being blatantly consumerized. I literally pick a person like a product. Something to hook up with, hang out with, have fun. It's also the heart behind, behind pornography. I'm literally choosing someone. I'm fantasy. I'm using them uh, for, for what I want. And that's literally the heart of it is, is, is to use another person. It's consumerism, consuming a person. So we come into relationships as consumers. We want sex without commitment. We want friendship without loyalty. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with membership in a local church, bro? Like I'm lost. Like you've commitment. Phobia, consumerism, what does that have to do with local church? And it's this. If our romantic sexual relationships are ravaged by commitment phobia and consumerism, it is even truer when it comes to our spiritual relationships. Our relationship with the bride of Christ, the church. So often, as self-focused people, when we look for a church, we don't tend to ask, who is Jesus calling me to? As a criteria. Let's say you moved to a new city. 
people literally use the phrase church shopping. Which the point of church, the point of shopping is to, to shop around, look around for the best deal, find the best thing for you. Um, we tend to be like the guy who was dating that girl and just ask, am I having fun? Do I like this? And when we can't answer yes to those two questions, we move on. And so, so often the Western Christian often wants relationships or worship music or preaching or coffee or kids care or a youth group. If there's a rock climbing wall. And we bounce from church to church looking for the church that will most meet our needs on any given day, on any given period. I've seen this. I used to do this. I used to work at a church. That was, it was a big church. They had five services a day. And I had to go to the morning ones uh, as a staff member. And I'd go in the morning. And in the morning, uh, they had this like, crazy fun speaker that non-Christians would love to hear. So I'd invite my non-Christian friends to that. And then, uh, and then Sunday nights, there was this insane worship band at this other church. And we'd go there at Sunday night. Uh, and uh, after I got saved, all I did was church stuff. So I and uh, so it's Sunday night, and uh, we go there for this insane music. They literally recorded albums. They were amazing. They, they toured. And then I go Wednesday night to another church because they had the deep Bible study night, verse by verse through the word. So, 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 so some of you guys, maybe you go to Harbor City some weeks, other churches, other times. Some Sundays, again, you skip service altogether and celebrate the Lord's brunch instead of the Lord's supper at a restaurant. And some people, and some people the other thing, too, is some people that are really super spiritual they go, man, I belong to the big C, brother, universal church, which you, you do. We'll get into that in a second. And, they, and I go, so, but, but where do you, like, who leads you? You go, man, I got a lot of leaders. I got a lot of preachers I love to listen to on iTunes. And they have church at their house, right? Hillsong. Hillsong is my worship band. My favorite preacher from America is my teaching pastor. Right? That's not a church. That's one person receiving, not giving. As one of my favorite preachers shared once in a sermon describing this idea, he said, do you pray for your stuffed animals at the end of the message? <laughs> There's no life. There's nothing happening. And so, so often as people in, in Western, we, we consume, but we rarely give, commit, and covenant to a people. So again, attend a worship service when I'm feeling spiritual? Check. Uh, commit to reorient my weekend schedule with a Sunday gathering in mind, sacrificing experiences and sleep to be there? No way. Uh, meet with leaders to encourage me and cry with me in my time of need. Check. Commit to submit to leaders who might tell me that what I want is wrong or foolish. Come on. Attend a church service in a building paid for by the church fund and receive from a, a pastor who's supported by the offerings of that church. Check. Commit to give a sizable chunk of my own money to that same church fund each month that can be counted on barring a change in my income. Come on, Andy, don't be crazy. Hang out with people who make me feel super good about myself all day. Work out conflicts with them when they, when they make me feel super bad about myself, which is inevitable in an authentic relationship. Nope, right? A lot of people, you have a conflict. I feel called to this other church. It's crazy. Your callings always conflict with conflicts you have. Coincide, nothing. So in our romantic relationships, our fear of someone better might come along with a better sense of humor a more scintillating conversationalist, a better lover, easier on the eyes. And so we put off commitment as long as possible, using as many people as possible until we enter into a dysfunctional marriage that is dysfunctional because we've trained ourselves not to give ourselves to another, but to take from them. And it's the same thing with the church. A better church might come along with a better set of friends, with better worship music, better preaching. You got Grant, not better preaching, but you know. And then we move on, right? We're, hey, we're never a couple. You were never my pastor. This was never my church. I just went to that home group every once in a while, but, but not, not seriously. And so today I want to talk about what it means to stop what one author calls dating the church and commit to her in spite of her flaws. Because another girl might come along who's prettier or smarter or, smarter or flashier, but what girl is Jesus calling you to, the girl being the bride? Does not need to, by the way, it doesn't need to be one harbor. I think it would be, be great if it was. I think you would be blessed to be here. Harbor City, sorry. What's the one harbor of the church? Sorry. <laughs> really doesn't need to be one harbor, guys. It's North Carolina. It's really far. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> but please make it somewhere. Jesus loves his bride. It's the only thing he's coming back for. So I just want to say this morning, man, don't, don't use her. Give yourself to her. So I want to answer three questions today about church membership. One, what is church membership? It's a very quick point. Two, is church membership biblical? And then three, why is church membership important, okay? So the first one is this. What is church membership? And I'm going to use a definition 
uh, that a guy named Mark Dever, a Baptist guy, put together and then was tweaked by a friend of mine, uh, a guy that leads another one of our churches, Brad Sarian. So it's this church membership is the mutual commitment between a follower of Jesus and a local church family where the members of that family commit to disciple one another, protect and provide for one another, and submit to King Jesus through the Bible and qualified leaders. Church membership is the mutual commitment between a follower of Jesus and a local church family where members of that family commit to disciple one another, protect and provide for one another, and submit to King Jesus through the Bible and qualified leaders. So I want to look at three things. Uh, Mutual, okay? You choose where you want to belong, and the leadership affirms that you do belong there. It's mutual, okay? If you're like, hey, I want to live my life however I want to live it. I want to hurt people. I want to use people. Uh, I want to um, uh, run um, shoddy business schemes in the church and, and, and steal people's money, and I want to sleep with the women and the men, and I want to uh, create division and gossip and, and just hurt people, um, and, and I get to be a member. No, 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 no. Uh, again, it's mutual. But on the flip side, um, uh, you need to choose it. It's not something you're forced into. You're not, it's membership or, or die or something like that. You know, it's membership right now. It's mutual, which implies you need to make, make that decision together. Um, also, you belong to a people. It's not an organization, which means that you need time to fill out the relationship. You don't get engaged typically without knowing someone for a little while. You don't tend to get married without getting it. You know, there tends, there tends to be steps naturally in our relationships with people. We tend to trust people more over time. Uh, disclose more of ourselves to them, spend more time with them as we get to know them. It's the same with church. So it is a process. So it's mutual. It's also, sub- there's submission, submitting to one another. Uh, the word submit's always going to stand out and scare everyone. But I want to say this, in the scriptures, uh, the word submit is not a dirty word of inequality in the Bible. For, for a very long time, uh, people with power have used words like submit to oppress people and use them. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who's the king of the universe, submitted himself to the will of the Father. And he is, if you don't think he's equal with God, you're a heretic. He's, he's equal. But he chose to submit. But it, but, but it is, but it, but it is uh, it's not to say that you um, are unequal, but it does mean you have a different role at different times, that you're submitting on, on different things which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, what church membership is not, uh, it's not an exclusive club you based on, you join based on superiority. It's not for certain people of a certain age or a certain, um, there's a certain level of maturity or a certain income level or a certain socioeconomic, that's not what it is. The only people allowed to become members of churches are those who have humbled themselves to the point of seeing that Jesus is their only chance of a relationship with God. It's not superior exclusive, it's, it's humble. So all you need to do to be a, a member of a church is to be a follower of a Jesus in a place. That's what qualifies you. It's not special. Uh, it's just normal Christianity. Um, I, I've, given, I've, let, I've trusted in what Jesus did on the cross for me, that he died for me, that he lived for me, that he rose again, that he gave me a new life, and I want to live that life with other people who are living it out together, to follow him together in this place at this time. By the way, if you've considered yourself a part of this church, but you've never taken a big step to intentionally trust and put your faith in Jesus— and trust him with your life and begin to follow him. I want to say it could be good to do that today too. You become a church member. Uh, you can't be a church member if you're not a follower of Jesus because a member is someone who's following Jesus with other people. But you can become a follower of Jesus today. Two, um, where's church membership in the Bible? Uh, Christianity is not individualistic. I think it's really important. So much of the New Testament can't be obeyed apart from other people. Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, we have Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 25 through 6-2. It says, if we, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a, in a transgression, so, so an ongoing sin um, that they're, they're, they're stuck in, they can't repent of, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you two be tempted. Bear one, another, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, 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 so here's the key idea. Um, who, whose burdens do you bear? If it's, if you're part of the big C church, do you bear every Christian's burdens all the time? Is the one another, everyone, you, every Christian, you know, you meet a lady named Nancy, who's a Baptist at, at the grocery store. And now she's your responsibility. Or you meet Pete, the Pentecostal at, uh, at save your coffee. You're like, Oh, Pete, you know, where, where does that end? Who do you, who do you bear with? Who do you, 
Uh, who are you responsible for? The Bible says, forgive one another, mourn with one another, exhort one another daily. We live in a broken, fallen world. There's a lot of mourning going on. Do you mourn with every person who's ever mourning? No, it's probably a context of these commands, the, the one another's. So we're saved into a church. Jesus died for a corporate group of believers, the church. Jesus uses the church twice in the Gospels. Um, there's the universal church, which, which he talks about here, Matthew 16. So there is a big C church. I want to make that really clear. Um, uh, uh, Jesus is asking the disciples uh, if they know who he is. I'll pick up in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Keep going. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, that God revealed who Jesus was to him. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, again, uh, when he says, uh, build my church, um, uh, we know that the church continues to go uh, on and on and on and on. It goes. It's, it's, it's an unbroken line that gets to here. That's why we're still talking about Jesus in South Africa 2,000 years later, a continent away from where Jesus was originally. Okay? So, so we believe there is a, a big uh, a big universal church. Uh, this is the, the church, all Christians for all time and all places, all peoples. Charles Spurgeon, John Calvin, Mother Teresa, all places. Uh, I lead a church in America. Uh, I came from, I went to T- Tunisia last month. Uh, I was in Ireland last month. I'll be in the UK next month ministering. I believe in a, that's why we're here. That's why Grant comes out to see us. So we believe in the, the universal church. I make that really clear. The big C church. And this eldership team believes, it, believes in that. But there's also a local church, okay? Uh, which Jesus describes a few chapters later in Matthew 18. So I want to talk about the the local church. Matthew 18 says this. It says, if your brother sins against you, brother or sister, go and tell them their fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, so if someone sins against you, they hurt you. Instead of running away, Jesus says, man, work it out. Go to them. Okay? So he says, go to them. Not, Not go to everyone but them. Go to them. Verse 16, but if you do that, if, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, so Jesus goes, bring two people that know both you guys, uh, that are following Jesus, obviously, and they can weigh out according to what, what Jesus has taught us, uh, if, if what they're doing is in line with what Jesus taught us. Um, but if, if they don't listen to you and they don't listen to these people, um, bring it to the church. Now, again, is this every Christian everywhere? I know the way some Christians handle conflicts with social media, they might think that. I gotta let people know about Nancy. She's the worst. Gossips about me all the time. I love when people gossip about people that gossip about them. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> no, there's gotta be a specific place, specific leaders in a specific church, a specific location for this to happen. It says, um, again, if, you, if, you, if, if they refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So there has to be a group small enough to actually know who this person is to treat them differently. And by the way, treat them as a tax collector doesn't mean like you're banned from talking to us. It means we don't assume you're a Christian, and so our relationship changes. We're, we're trying to woo you to how beautiful Jesus is, like we do people that don't know Jesus. It looks different. So the nature of the local church is a family of repentant and reconciled brothers and sisters who represent Jesus and live out his kingdom in a specific place at a specific time. Again, how do we hold people accountable? Uh, who do we tell uh, the word members is used by Paul throughout the New Testament as a metaphor for individual Christians who are connected to Jesus and to one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven says this, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay, so um, how many guys are members of a gym? Okay. How many of you guys have, have a Netflix membership or a video streaming membership? Okay. Um, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't gym, sky sports, something like that. Think body parts or family members, members of a body, not memberships to clubs. It's, it's saying, it's, it's like saying, man, can I count on my hand to work? Can my brain count on my hands to grab something when it tells it to? Can my toes count on my legs to move them to where they need to be? To, to, to grip whatever they need to grip to keep walking. So again, and some people might say, hey, the Bible doesn't say how to become a member. I would say it also doesn't say how to get married, but it assumes you can know who you are married to. One person via choice and commitment. 
doesn't say what the ceremony should look like. I know a lot of brides act like there are things in the Bible. It's got to be perfect and specific. Um, but, uh, you know, there isn't like bridezilla instructions in Jeremiah 11, okay? But we, we know through choice and commitment, you can know who you're married to. So then when Paul says a different one another, you know, he says, um, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for, uh, for Christ. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. Wives, submit to your husbands in the way that, that we submit to Jesus because they're supposed to be treating you. The way Jesus treats you, that, that you know who he's talking to. You're like, who's my husband? It doesn't say, no, no, no. So we can know through commitment and choice that relationships um, can move forward together. We, we, we know that. Even if it doesn't say, um, a verse that says, be a church member, it's like we can't do any of the functions without that. So last thing, why is it important? Why is church membership important? Uh, church membership is important for three main reasons. The first one is the leader's shepherding. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. By the way, I love that verse. That's like a life verse, you guys. You should get that tattooed. It's amazing, amazing verse, guys. John three sixteen is great, but obey your leaders and submit to them. I love that. Uh, for they are keeping watch. I'm joking, obviously. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When we think about men like Shane and Grant and Brendan, um, there's a lot of things you can think about these guys. There's a lot of things you know about them, things you like about them, don't like about them, things that you love about them, things that annoy you, whatever it is. Um, but, the, but, but these men will give an account for souls one day. That's a sobering reality. Now, how do they do that if they don't know who they're responsible for? Right? Just think about a work assignment where if you showed up to work and your boss is like, just so you know, serious job review in three months, 90-day probation period ends. You're like, okay, what's my job description? I don't know. Figure it out. Let's see what happens. That's what we do with Pat. If we don't, if we don't commit and we don't know, hey, I'm committing to lead you as an elder, and, 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 and you're committing to jump in and, and, and do partner with us in advancing the kingdom in this city, in this place, at this time. So, so they need to know, man, who I, I want to know as a leader, man, who am I going to be responsible for? By the way, um, uh, when it talks about submitting them, uh, submitting and obeying them, again, that's rooted, in, our authority is rooted in the word, okay? Uh, this isn't like an elder's like, you need to paint your bedroom blue or weird controlling stuff like that. That's like, um, our authority only exists as far as this goes. Does that make sense? This revealed word. And so, yeah, we'll call you to hard things. The Bible says, command those who are rich to give generously. So we'll do that, not because we're just trying to get people to give money, because this says to. Because it says that, that the riches are a snare that will destroy our lives. This, the Bible says, um, we're going to talk about it on Thursday night. It's going to talk about uh, sexual purity and honoring God with your body because you were bought with a price. I don't say that because I'm trying to control people's sex life or lack thereof. But because this, this revealed text is God designed life a certain way. He knows how it's best to be lived in terms of the way we look at our career and our relationships and our money and, and our sex life and our whatever it is. But when you go beyond that, you have to marry this man, not this is what marriage should be. Or, or, or here's what it looks like for you. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's talking that. So if that freaks you out, and it, again, authority can be abused, but it's not when it's, 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 it looks like Jesus, which it's supposed to, and then, and then what they're calling you to is the commands of Jesus, the commands of his word. So, so the leader needs to know who they're responsible for, but you guys need to know who you're called to submit to because you guys are, how do you obey that passage? Do you submit to the guy you watch on TV or on your laptop? Are you, by the way, it's kind of scary also. Are you, you're supposed to submit to every Christian leader, someone, everyone who says they're a Christian leader? Right, every crazy TV preacher, every guy with a bad haircut, sitting on a throne asking for more money? Probably not it. Uh, the second reason uh, membership is important is the members, the members' discipleship. Hebrews 3.13 says this. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, in the New Testament, there are different levels of, of Greek. There's high fancy Greek. Uh, there's, uh, there's street level Greek that people would have spoken on the street. Uh, and Hebrews is some of the most highbrow Greek in all of the scriptures. So it's, 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 it's fancy uh, language, basically. It's proper language. Um, and so it can be kind of hard to understand if you were to translate it. What do you guys think everyday means in this highbrow Greek? What do you guys think? Kind of like a metaphor? Or... What do you guys think? It means every day. Yeah, it means every day what it says. So it says we're, we're called to exhort one another. We're called to challenge one another every day because we're dumb. 
We are e- we're gullible and easily deceived by sin. All of us. That offended you. I hate to break. We're all. That's me too. That's all of us. Besides Jesus, every person is ever, And it says that we'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's the idea of uh, of something drying and becoming just just just. Um, man, think about like a. Think about like a, a, a uh, yeah, an, a beautiful um, Afro's chicken sandwich. And I want you to imagine, right? It's it's like an Afro's takeover you guys do sometimes. And, and you get there, and right before you get it, you take on that that chili burger, um, right? And, and you're about to take a bite, and there's this, uh, the, the bun's soft and just, just heavenly. It's amazing. And then imagine um, you get a phone call, and you have to leave Afro's uh, for three months, right? And you come back, right? And it's still there, right? How hard is that bun? Right, that's your heart with sin. It's not. A, it's not what it's supposed to look like. It's not a pretty picture. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hardening uh, that 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 leads to it not being able to be used for its purpose. And so, man, sin, we 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 all like to tell ourselves dumb. No one lies to you more than you. We're all prone to believe dumb ideas and dumb stories. My son recently, we were doing a um a bonfire, like a little campfire, hang out with one of his friends. And it was nighttime and little boys did do it. They invariably always want to do, they want to tell scary stories around the fire. And, uh, so, so Clive's like, Hey, I want to go. I want to tell a story. I was like, okay. And he starts t- telling his scary story. And uh, he goes, man, there was a zombie and the zombie lived in a shed. And we're right by a shed, by the way. Uh, he's like literally looking at things he can see. And he's like incorporating that in the story. And there was a guy named Clive and a kid named Jalen. And then, uh, and then he, he, uh, he like, um, moved his chair a little bit and it knocked over like a glass and there was a noise. He was like, Oh, and and he scared himself with his own story. Right. We, we, we tell ourselves so many, we live in a false gospel, false reality, false worldview we created. And then we live in response to it. I'm a failure. I'm dumb. I'll always be a sex addict. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a a liar. I'm a bitter person. I'll be enslaved to this forever. We, we do this with ourselves or we lie to ourselves and go, I'm none of those things. I just look at porn every once in a while. I'm not a sex addict. I'm just kind of annoyed by that person. I'm not angry or bitter, right? So, so, so we, we can lie to ourselves that we're defined by something. We'll always be it. Or it's not that big of a problem. We actually are becoming something other than we were meant to be. We need people to go, brother, I love you, but what's going on? What's going on with your marriage? I'm just watching. I love you. Why, why are you guys talking to each other like this? Like, is something going on? Do you guys need help? Have noticed, man, when we go out to the pub, like, it's not a beer. It's like five all the time. Have, does that make sense? It's, it's, it's just, I love you enough to ask you this because we're all prone to believe. We're all prone to wander. So it's so, so, so important, man. We need to be disciples. We need people. Like, the, the, the YouTube preacher is not going to talk to you about your addiction. The YouTube preacher is going to go with tears, look you in the eyes and go, man, I think you're bitter. And it's making you a terrible person. We need this. We, we need to be led, but we also need to disciple one another. Also, how do you obey Jesus? All the one another passages that go on and on. So it's, it's important for the leaders shepherding. It's important for the members of discipleship. It's also important for Jesus' glory. It's my last big thing, and then we'll go into to worship here in a second. We represent Jesus. God has always longed for a people who would declare in word and deed who he is to the world. Adam and Eve, it doesn't go so well. Nation of Israel, it doesn't go so well. And then Jesus shows up to to reveal who God is. And then he calls the church to be his body, representing him all to reveal who he is to the nations. Church plants are, are places to belong. They're little colonies of heaven where we do life differently. We're, we're a different, we're a peculiar people who find our, we're sojourners. We find our identity somewhere else. We have an enduring peace. But it's something that's best expressed together. In John 13, the night before Jesus goes to the cross to die for us, he says this to his disciples. Again, think how important last words are. And then think about the last words of Jesus and think through what, what uh, sorry, uh, I, sorry, yeah. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Men will, men will, people will know who I am by the way you love one another. He doesn't say men will know who you are by how much, you, know who I am by how much you pray and sing worship songs. 
Men will know who you are by the bass player that you have that the church down the street does not have. It says, but when, but when men and women see you love people who are different than you and all you have in common is Jesus, they're going to learn something about Jesus, that Jesus couldn't be more different than us. He's our friend. We're in a very different uh, spiritual class than Jesus. And he welcomes us into his home. When the world says we should be separated by socioeconomic status or race or political party, we go, that, no, that doesn't need to be here. Because Jesus is, is way wealthier than me. He's way more beautiful than me. He's cooler than me. He's smarter than me. And, and he loves me. He can be more different than me. When men and women see you love people not only who are different, but people who inconvenience you. Why are you friends with that guy that you always have to give rides to? Because he doesn't have a car. Why are you friends with that guy um, who, who always is late to stuff? Why, why, why are you friends with that guy who's, who's like a time Nazi and always making you do, he's so, you know, why, why are you friends with someone who's so different than you? Why are you friends? Uh, I inconvenience Jesus all the time. When they, when they see us resolve conflict, now, naturally we're prone, psychologists say we're prone to do two things with conflict, to attack or withdraw. And uh, that we either we either want to kind of when we're in a in a conflict we either are prone to kind of fight or flight we want to um, just emotionally just let you have it maybe even physically let you have it or we want to bail out the back door right so some of us are people are like we need to talk about this right now I don't know if anyone's married to someone like that right now we got to talk about it and some of us are like um, and then some of us are like do we have to talk about this right now can we do this later is this that important look that way. <laughs> No, but when the gospel sees us, we don't attack each other or withdraw, that we lovingly move towards each other to work through hard issues and reconcile. We go, Jesus never leaves me or forsakes me. He doesn't beat me up. That on the cross, he moved towards me. He didn't withdraw, but he also was honest. But he also loved me in spite of the, the broken stuff in our relationship. He, he reconciled us. They're going to learn something in Jesus. When the world sees us forgive one another, Jesus forgives me all the time. Forgiveness is so supernatural. I know signs and wonders are amazing. I want more of them. You guys are doing a series on the spirit. I, I want to see people healed all the time. We're praying this morning for my throat to be healed. I, I want signs and wonders in this city. But what's more supernatural than a sign and wonder is someone who says yes to Jesus and, and forgives from the heart. Something only God can do. You can go to a doctor to heal you in a way. God can heal you. You're gonna, a doctor can't, no one can make you forgive. No one can, can set your heart free other than Jesus. It's supernatural. You go, man, I forgive this group of people because I've been forgiven. When the world sees us share our stuff with one another and live generously, they learn something of the generosity of Jesus. He shares all his stuff with me. He gave me his whole inheritance. I'm a co-heir with Christ. On the cross, lavish generosity. Ephesians says he lavishes his grace. In Greek, it's a never-ending pour. It's an ongoing indicative. It keeps happening to us. They'll start to believe that as we love one another that, that Jesus is who he said he was. This group is so different than any other group I've ever seen. Their diversity, the way they do conflict, their generosity, their love. Maybe there's a source of this love that is different than any other group I've ever seen. Acts 20, 28 says this. I'll read this verse and we'll close. It says, pay careful. Paul's talking to, to some leaders at a church in Ephesus. Uh, in modern day Turkey, he says this. He says, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus bought the church with his own blood, including Harbor City Church. It is precious to him. My prayer is that it would become, she would become precious to you that you would love her, that you would care for her, and that your love for her would build. She is, by the way, the church is broken. We know that. You know why? Because broken people are what it's made up of. But Jesus loves, he, he loves to love people out of brokenness into beauty, out of unholiness into holiness, out of unrighteousness into righteousness, out of a lack of self-control to a life of purity and joy. So we're all being loved out of our brokenness together. That's the point. So today, a couple of responses. I have three things. I'll call the worship team up right now. A couple of responses I want you guys to pray through and think about. Just do a little diagnostic for your own heart. Where are you at with this idea of church? The, the community of God, the family of God. Uh, I want to ask this. Um, confess. I'm going to start with confession. 
Where have you used the church? Where have you taken but not given? Where do you view the church as something that exists to meet your needs and not something that you give yourself to or sacrifice for? Confess that to Jesus. I've used your church in a way that she she was never meant to be used. Also, kind of a follow-up, maybe confession piece. Is there anyone in the church that you have hurt that you need to apologize to or another church somewhere? Oftentimes as elders, when we're, um, we have people who move into our community and they want to join our church, um, we'll ask, hey, what was the last church you were at and, wh- and why aren't you there anymore? And sometimes, hey, I moved across the country. I can't be, that's, that's great. Sometimes they go, because I hate this person. I'm never going to talk to them again. But no, no, brother, we, that's, that's not going to get better on its own. You got to deal with that. We'd love to have you. We want to help you work through that process of forgiving, apologizing. Some people leave churches, yeah, because they've been hurt, but other people leave churches because they've hurt someone and they're embarrassed, so they leave instead of repenting and getting closer. So, so some of us need to confess. Some of us need to cast ourselves onto him for healing and restoration. Where have you been hurt by the church in the past? Where have you been hurt by people in this church? By the way, people will hurt you in this church. Elders are probably freaking out. Oh, no. People will hurt you in every church because they're made up of people. We're sinners being restored to look like Jesus. You will hurt people if you're a part of this church. Again, a lot of us walk around with this air of superiority and I'm awesome all the time. And like people, the Bible has a command to bear with one another. Um, a lot of us think like, yeah, they think you think you bear with everyone. Do you know that you're someone's bear? They have to bear with you? Like you annoy someone? And because they love you, they're not going to tell you? But, um, but man, like, like it, we're going to let each other down. We're going to hurt each other on purpose as sinners. And we're going we're gonna to hurt each other on accident. Because we're, infall- we're infallible, we're, we're imperfect. We forget things, we're late for things. So, so where have you been hurt by people in this church? And because of that, have you pulled back? Or another, have you pulled back from the church? You know, when I was hurt, I'm never going to go back. If the church is what I just described it to be, the family of God that leads to your maturing, if you run from church to church, you'll never mature. You'll never mature. You'll be like a baby that just... Bounces around. It doesn't let anyone teach, teach them if they had that kind of autonomy. No one's going to teach me to potty train. Oh, you want? No, no. And then you never learn how to deal with conflicts. Never learn how to handle your sexuality in a way that leads to joy and fulfillment. You never learn. Do you see what I'm saying? You never learn how to find an identity that's way better than the one you gave yourself, which is not God's identity he's given you. Don't pull back. If you pull back, the only person who wins is the enemy. You might feel safer, but you're living a smaller life. A life beneath you. It's scary, but, it, but it's, it's worth it. God isn't saying get it together today, by the way. If you have church, you've been burned. But I know there's shepherds in the church that would love to sit with you and cry with you. I know they'd love to apologize to you if they did hurt you unintentionally. I know they would love to, 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 to sit with you if, if you were hurt in another place and help bring a healing and restoration to your heart. So, so uh, move toward it. But it's going to be a process, but the process can start today. Jesus, I don't want this hurt and bitterness from this pastor church to keep me from growing in Jesus and community. Some of us need to confess where we've used the church and hurt people. Some of us need to cast ourselves on him to pray for healing, for how we've been hurt by the church. And then the last is, is commitment. Some of us need to actually commit to the church. You've been hanging out on the outside. You've been, you've been checking out. You've been dating Harbor City for a long time. And she's a cute girl. She's kind of a beach vibe. She's a surfer girl. You like her? Um, but, but will you commit to her? Will you, will you give yourself to this bride who is imperfect, by the way, who will let you down? But you're called to, to, to add value where they lack it, actually. Some of you guys have gifts that this church needs. You know what I hate? When people with gifts that God gave them to build up the body in that area complain that, that the church doesn't have enough of it, and then they leave to a church full of that gift. Really amazing, beautiful, prophetic people who go, oh, I just want, I, I'm going to go to this other church to do more prophecy. No, we need your prophetic gift. People with a teaching gift, they go, oh, man, this church is not deep enough, not deep enough teaching. Man, maybe you could help with that. Or, uh, man, this church doesn't value families. I want a church that's like all about family. Maybe you could help build out the family. Does that make sense? May God's calling you to commit and give yourself uh, to this church. And, and you can talk to the elders about what that means in this context at this time. And then the, kind of the last one is if you're here today and you're like, dude, I, I don't even know where I'm at with Jesus or any of that stuff. Um, you don't need to join a church. Uh, again, find Jesus. And then he'll lead you into the church. But maybe today's the day you put your faith in Jesus. Maybe, maybe you put faith in Jesus and then join the church on the next few weeks. Um, but the invitation's open. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He rose again to give you power over sin. And he has a home for the, in, in the future. 
um, where you'll be free from the presence of sin that's available today. So I'm going to hand over to Grant. Um, you good? Just pray? Okay. Father, thank you that you are a dad who created a community. You created a space for us to belong, a space we don't deserve. We are all like the younger brother and the older brother in the story of uh, the prodigal sons, really. That we, some of us uh, pushed you away and did our own thing and lived for ourselves, said you don't know anything and I don't love you and I'm using you, using the gifts you've given me, but I don't want you. I've made my job about me, my sex life about me, my relationships about me, a career about me, and I've rejected you and taken these gifts. And other people have uh, been, been on paper, they look really good. They're disciplined, they're self-controlled, they never ran away, they've stayed around church their whole life, but they've never loved you. They're just using you to get things from you, just in a, they were playing the, the slow game. Lord, I thank you that you welcome both into the house and you give us what we don't deserve. I thank you that uh, the church is really a, a group of people. I think about the prodigal son. It's preached a few weeks ago and it really ministered to me this idea of being given a kiss we don't deserve. And we're welcomed in, and then he, he, he welcomed him. But when he, we were a long way off, you welcomed us in, and you hugged us, and you held us, and you kissed us. That we're all people who are undeserved kiss recipients, undeserved grace, undeserved love. What generosity, Jesus. You go out running after us. You enter this world. You become a man. You die for us. You rise again. You call us into freedom with you. And I think that you call us in it with others. You call us back into the home, back into the family space at the dinner table we don't deserve and you throw a party for us. And then you invite us into throwing a bunch more parties for people that you love deeply in a lonely world where people who need not, never be lonely. And so Lord, would Harbor City be a church that increasingly reflects your beauty to the world, your generosity, your forgiveness, your grace, your reconciliation, your love, your humility, your service. And for those who have not committed to be a part of this community, Lord, would you give, if, 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 if they're going to be here, Lord, would you give them the desire to, to do those things here in this place? And would you give these elders, uh, these amazing brothers, uh, wisdom um, on how to, how to lead these new people? In Jesus' name, amen.